Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon. All the money from Patreon is being used to fund online hosting and to build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to part one of my conversation with Cedric Parcells on Gravamen. So this week we are doing something a little different on the Messy Reformation. We're actually bringing back our first ever repeat guest with Cedric Parcells. And one of the reasons why we wanted to bring Cedric back on the podcast is we got a lot of feedback after the last episode we had with Patrick Anthony and the conversations around Gravamen. People are interested in it because, well, that's one of the really hot topics going on in the CRC right now. So I thought... If we want to dive deeper into this topic of Gravamen, why not bring on Cedric Parcells? Because he's kind of known as one of the guys who has done a bunch of stuff with Gravamen in the CRC. And so I guess my first question for you, Cedric, is how did you dive into this kind of rabbit hole around Gravamen? Well, I think um, I didn't know I was the... The, the first repeat guest, by the way, Jason, that's, uh, that's, that's quite a thing. I should get a certificate. Um, I'm waiting in the mail. Um, but I, I got into this probably like a lot of people did when, when they joined the ministry is I took a church order class and I took a church order class with, with Kathy Smith, uh, in, uh, I think it was 2012 or 2011, one of the two. I remember going through it. I remember reading it and I, uh, you know, I'd read some of the history of the Christian reformed church. Uh, and so when I read through the Gravaman stuff, I thought, okay, that's, that, that makes sense of, you know, based on what I've read in, in other places. And so went on my merry way. And then after Synod 22, uh, we had the, I would call it the the famous or the infamous FAQ that was put out by the denominational offices. And the claims that were being made in that document um, did not cohere with what I had thought the church order meant and what our history had, had indicated. And so I, you know, I went and I sent an email to, 
uh, Zach King and some of the denominational people. And I asked them to, to, you know, continue to respond to my concerns. You know, I don't think this is the right understanding of vomit. It's not how it's supposed to work. And they basically said, well, we're going to follow the advice of our church order people. And in this particular case, it's Kathy Smith. So go talk to Kathy. And so Kathy and I sat down uh, for about, I don't know, an hour or so and uh, talked about it. And I was not persuaded that uh, her, her interpretation and the denominational office's interpretation was accurate. So I said, you know what, I should do a deeper dive on this. And so I did. And I, I went back to um, the originating synod where this whole distinction between the two different types of gravamen are. So we have we have two different types of gravamen in the CRC. We have confessional difficulty gravamen and we have confessional revision gravamen. So I said, well, let's go back to the synod that created this distinction, which was 1976, and let's seek to understand what they understood this to be. And so what I discovered there was is that they did not see confessional difficulty gravamen as a way for people to, and I'll use this word, although some people find it objectionable, um, they did not see this as a way for people to take exception uh, to doc, uh, to doctrines in our confessions. They were intended to, it was intended to be a, a, a way you could, a minister or an office bearer, could say, hey, I have some doubts about something, and it's really bothering me. Uh, it's making it so that I don't feel like I can uh, say with integrity that I am in agreement with the confessions. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not there yet, uh, but I have serious doubts. And so the intention is you file one of these and then the church is supposed to come around and support you and to give you the space and the time and the resources you need in order to resolve those doubts. And uh, by the nature of the case, it's not supposed to be this uh, ongoing, never resolved kind of thing. Um, There is supposed to be this sense that you are going to work through this. uh, And if you come to the point where you're like, you know what, you have done everything possible to help resolve this doubt and it hasn't been resolved for me, I probably need to submit a confessional revision gravamen, either because what I come to find out is I actually do disagree. Now, it's not just a doubt. I actually have a conviction that this is wrong. Or uh, you could come to the conclusion, I think, where you say this is such uh, there, the the issue is so murky and so contested that really we shouldn't be requiring people to subscribe to this kind of thing. And so you submit a confessional revision gravamen and the church uh, can respond to you in that way. Um, so I did that work and then I wrote some, uh, I wrote up some of that for the Abide Project and I wrote an overture sort of based off of uh, some of the research I'd done for for that, and I, I brought that to classes Granville, and you could find that in the agenda for Synod twenty three. Um, but then, as I was presenting the same day that I presented that 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 overture to my classes, uh, the denominational office dropped um, the first of two articles uh, from Kathy Smith trying to explain um, Gravamen 
uh, and basically sort of, um, how would you put it, uh, doubling down on some of the things that they had said in the FAQ. And then she had this second article that came out a few days later on the history of Gravamina. And I looked at that and I said, this is no. <laughs> so, and so, and so I was like, okay, but we'll, we'll do our due diligence. So I uh, took some time. I went to Calvin uh, college slash university and I read through the original, uh, not only the original synodical decisions, uh, but I read through other denominational publications from around the time. So what were other people in the CRC saying and thinking about Synod and what it was doing around that? How did they understand what was coming coming down, what was being done? And uh, what I discovered, uh, or got reconfirmed, I should say, reaffirmed in, was is that, no, um, the CRC has never allowed office bearers to take exceptions officially allowed office bearers to take exceptions to our confessions. Uh, the confessional difficulty gravamina were never intended to be used in that way. And so those, I would argue, those who are using it in that way now are really abusing the, abusing the, the church order. Uh, and I think in, in more seriously, I think that they are, whether Consciously or not, I think that they're engaged in something that's immoral uh, because when you become a minister in the Christian Reformed Church, you take an oath, right? And that oath is that you unreservedly will believe, promote, and defend the doctrines of the church. Uh, and if you, and whenever you go to classes, you basically retake that oath, uh, whether your classes requires you to stand up and reaffirm it on your classical credentials, the paper you bring along with you, it always says, you know, our council is in basically in complete agreement with the, with the church's teachings. And when you go to synod, you have to take the oath again. So there's a lot of oaths in the Christian reformed church uh, that people have to go through uh, throughout their, throughout a year. I mean, think about it. We take that oath at least three times a year. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a matter of, of integrity, I think, um, that, that, uh, that we need to, to maintain, um, our, our traditional position on this, um, until Synod changes it, of course, if that's what Synod wants to do. But, so I think that the, the, my concern in part was not only was the denominational offices, um, position a historical revisionist history, uh, it was also immoral because of the oaths. And I also think it's, if we follow through with that approach of misusing confessional difficulty gravamina, we're going to be undermining confessionalism in the Christian Reformed Church. Because to, to use a phrase, everyone is going to do what is right in their own eyes. Because <laughs> there is no king in Israel. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, and I think the response to Synod 22 has just um, showed that that is exactly the case. You have uh, entire churches that have essentially uh, said, yep, we're going to take exception to all this and we're going to use confessional difficulty gravamina as a way to do it. And you've had entire classes um, that uh, have sort of even stopped using the covenant for office bearers or the form of subscription. Uh, so there's this, this, um, yeah, I think there's there's an undermining of confessionalism in the Christian Reformed Church. I think it was already happening, right? Yeah. I think it was already happening in the CRC. But 
the response to Synod 22 simply sort of brought it up. You know, it's sort of yeah. like sort of like COVID, how a lot of the issues that arose in churches, they were already there. COVID just created the situation for them to be revealed. Yeah. Uh, and I think the same thing happened with Synod 22. There were already issues. Synod 22 just sort of brought them to the surface. And so now we're now we're trying to say, okay, how are we going to deal with the issues that we were able to ignore previously? So yeah, that's, would, long story short, that's how I got into Graphamina. <laughs> yeah, long story short, but that's all right. I think that's really helpful. Um, you know, what you were just saying, I think is really, uh, it kind of connects with a few things that came up as I was, uh, as you were talking. Uh, one of the passages that really jumped out at me in my devotions this week was uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 13. And Paul says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire Mm -hmm. and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And, uh, and then in, in Calvin's commentary on that passage, he says this. It may indeed happen that unprincipled workmen may for a time deceive so that the world does not perceive how far each one has labored faithfully or fraudulently. But what is now, as it were, buried in darkness must of necessity come to light. And what na- what is now glorious in the eyes of men must before the face of God fall down and be regarded as worthless. Hmm. And so it's this kind of idea that, yeah, what COVID did is it really, COVID came through and as like a fire right through churches and kind of revealed some of the places where I think churches had built with hay, straw and stubble. And, uh, and then to bring that into the conversation we're having now is uh, in the Christian reformed church, this, uh, this difficulty we're having this kind of trial by fire we're having right now around matters of sexuality, I think is revealing the the wood hay and stubble stubble that have been built up in the CRC and and we're kind of seeing some of that failure and uh and what's interesting to me is that so much of the conversation we're having right now in 20 in the you know 2020s goes back to conversations that happened in the 1970s right yeah. right we're talking about 1973 decisions on human sexuality 1976 decisions around Gravamen, 1975 decisions about the authority of synodical decisions and pastoral advice. And so what was going on in the 70s in the CRC? Because it seems like there's a lot of stuff that was happening there that that has kind of set us up, um, you know, 50 years later. Mm-hmm. It is. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I have thought about some people would even point to 1972. And uh, the, I think there was a study committee report on uh, what the authority of scripture yes. uh, that has always has gotten a lot of, you know, has been, con- has, has provoked a lot of controversy, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know, I've, I've thought the same thing. It'd be, it'd be fascinating to, to do some, a project or something like that on thinking through some of the cultural forces that were at work around the CRC. I know that, um, Bratt, James Bratt, is that his name? James mm-hmm. Bratt. Yeah, he, you know, he wrote a famous uh, his doctoral dissertation on uh, what's it, Dutch Calvinism in mm-hmm. modern America. Yeah, and he talks about 
he talks about the 1960s, if I'm remembering properly, he talks about the 1960s as sort of the heyday or the last great hurrah for what he would call confessionalists in the CRC. And after that, starting, you know, basically in the seventies and his, his, his history only goes up to like 1979 um, because he wrote it like in the, in the early eighties or something. So he sort of, he sort of says there was a big changing of the guard. He would say, I think uh, in the seventies and a lot of people associated with say like the reformed journal, um, you know, you read the reformed journal from the sixties and man, they are depressed, (laughs) (laughs) but, but you read it in the seventies, uh, and, uh, they're not quite as depressed as they were. (laughs) They're, they're much more, uh, especially when it came to that 1972 report on the authority of scripture, uh, much more, much happier with, with where the direction the denomination was going. Uh, so i you're right the 70s if the history of the crc is written someday the 70s obviously is is one of the decades that is going to be huge yeah yeah i think so and then as i even as i look at some of the different conversations that are having i and this is just from personal experience i have no data based on this really besides just certain churches that i know that were started in the early eighties or late seventies, um, you know, have these kind of foundations that are being shaken right now. Mm. And, uh, and so that's kind of where it tied up. And then, you know, I've ran into some of the pastors that started those, those churches and they're the ones who are really pushing against right now, these matters of human sexuality. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, you get into some of the churches and you talk to people and you're like, well, this is, seems all nice and good. There seems to be a lot of good stuff here, but something's off and I can't quite figure out what's off about it yet. Um, and, and I don't, I haven't, I don't have the answer to all of that yet, but, but like I said, there's some foundations that are missing. And I think, you know, through the eighties in particular, because of what was going on in the seventies through the eighties, we lost some foundation and now this fire is coming through and revealing that, that, that yeah, we're, we're, we, we're going to have to start rebuilding. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to, why don't we go back? Cause one of the articles that you wrote, um, you know, we don't all, it's not all pastors who listen to this, but I think it's helpful for people to kind of hear some of the history around uh, Gravamen and what's going on because it, it does apply much broader broader than just pastors and synod. I think, uh, just as I think about it, even if you're not a pastor, you're just a person in the pew. Um, I think you want to have confidence that, that the pastor preaching from the pulpit is going to be preaching in line with the the official teachings of the church, right? You want to know that your elders and your deacons are, are leading in line with the doctrines and the teachings of the church. And so I think this whole conversation of Gravamen isn't just a church order thing. It really does affect people down into the pew. But uh, with all that said, let's dive in. I want to hear more about the Harry Bohr case and and kind of what was going on there. And because that was kind of, I think if I'm if I remember right, that Harry Bohr case was what kind of brought up these two distinctions of uh, gravamen, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that it. He's a fascinating person, and. Um, so to understand understand the Boer case, I think uh, I should back up just a little bit and yeah. explain sort of where 
the CRC has been at um, before that with regard to Gravamen. And, you know, you go all the way, honestly, um, really, this goes all the way back to even the Synod of Dort. Uh, and because the Synod of Dort is the one that established our, um, our, our original form of subscription, which um, we essentially still subscribe to. We call it the Covenant for Office Bears. It does the same thing, but slightly different in, in a few ways. Um, so they practiced what's called strict subscriptionism. Um, they required all ministers to uh, subscribe to all the doctrines that are contained in the three forms of unity. And they were doing that, it won't be a big surprise, because uh, they didn't want the Arminians. <laughs> to, they, were, they were concerned about the Arminians. And so uh, that's, and that was something that was distinctive about Dutch, um, Dutch reformed church polity and practice was that we did not uh, allow for exceptions to be taken. Now, you know, obviously through the 1700s, when liberal theology started to sort of generate, there were ministers who, you know, were not honest, right? When they subscribed and there are all kinds of interesting political and social reasons why they were allowed to get away with it. Um, but still, nevertheless, on the books, right? Uh, it was understood, yeah, we don't allow exceptions. And for the more conservative elements of the church in the Netherlands, uh, that was uh, that was an important thing. And after uh, the, so Napoleon takes over the Netherlands and he's finally ousted and they get a new king. And one of the things that the king does is he essentially puts, he turns the church into a, a department of religion, basically. Um, and uh, one of the things that he does is he redoes, he has the synod of the Dutch church redo the way in which ministers are able to, to subscribe. And this, so instead of having, it was not, we agree that all the things contained in these confessions are in agreement with the word of God. Now they could read it as saying, we believe all these things insofar as they are in agreement with the word of God. Right, which is a huge. Like you could drive a truck through that, right? yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and so this was one of the things that led to the what was called the secession of the Aufschreiding of 1834, mm -hmm. um, which is where the CRC originally came out of. That's the sort of the, the motivation. So the, all the people who immigrated uh, with Venralti to West Michigan uh, in the eight in the 1850s, uh, they. They were from this offshiting. Mm -hmm. And when the CRC broke and started its own deal in, in West Michigan shortly thereafter, uh, this was the understanding of confessional subscription. And in fact, one of the earliest documents uh, that we have is one of them is about, okay, everyone's in agreement that we're all going to subscribe unconditionally, right? <laughs> and, and it even says in the minutes, it was unanimously accepted. Right. So there wasn't wow. any debate. It's just, yeah, this is what we're going to do. So, and that was, uh, so that's, that's the background to the, to what's going to happen in the 1970s. So during the, the forties and the fifties, you know, the CRC has some issues and it's not quite sure how to deal with them because people aren't, they're raising objections, but they're not calling them objections. They're, I don't disagree, but I 
want to know more about this kind of thing and they don't know what to do because the only kind of way to to deal with someone in that situation that we had was what we would call today a confessional revision gravamen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the only one you could have. And so everyone, whenever these objections would come where it's like, I'm not disagreeing, but I have doubts about it. Uh, it the synods would always be like, well, what do we do with this? Because what is this? Yeah. So anyhow, so that, that gets us to Harry Boer. Um, Harry Boer had doubts about the doctrine of reprobation, uh, which has to do with the doctrine of election and predestination. He had doubts about reprobation in the 19, early 1960s, uh, but he did not, and he actually had intended to write a confessional, what we would call a confessional revision gravamen in 1963. Uh, but he had a friend who had, in the in the pages of the Reformed Journal, had questioned were made statements that sort of went against the doctrine of limited atonement. And that had caused a huge controversy called the love of God controversy. And he didn't want to give the impression that he was coming down on the side of his friend, who was a friend of his, Harold Decker. And so he waited until that controversy had sort of blown over. And so when the controversy blew over in the late sixties, he thought that he should uh, finally get, get about, uh, doing this gravamen of getting the church to change its position when it comes to predestination, election, re- reprobation kind of stuff. Uh, but he, he, he just, he thought, you know, the thing to do first would be to get the church to change its position on what it means to subscribe. Uh, because that's where he thought a lot of our, our problems were going to be in terms of debating the issue of reprobation. So he, uh, he did a big study on the, form of subscription or what we call the covenant for office bearers today. And he wrote a seven part article in the reform journal, uh, basically arguing that we need to change this. This is bad, etc. And no one took him up on it. He's like, someone needs to write an overture about this. And uh, no one took him up on it. So he wrote his own overture uh, saying, look, we need to uh, look into um, changing the, the form of subscription. And, the church took him up on that and, 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 and considered some ways in which it could improve its system. And when he's got, when he thought that he had gotten some traction there, he's like, okay, I'm going to start raising the issue of reprobation. And he did it in the same way that people in the past had done it, where he said, you know, it's not that I disagree. It's just that I don't, I don't see what the biblical foundation for this doctrine is. So can you provide that for me? Um, so the way that they eventually resolved it, uh, was they said, okay, we're tired of having these people come to us and say that we're not disagreeing, but we're, we have doubts and we're, we need to have a category for this. And so what they settled on was they said, okay, we're going to have two different types of gravamen. We're going to have one gravamen for people who have doubts about something and are asking the church to provide them with the information that they need in order to resolve those doubts. And then we're going to have this, what is traditional gravamen, uh, of the, what we'll call the confessional revision gravamen. And that's the one for people who just disagree. That's the one for the Arminians. And, uh, so, um, so that's what they decided in, in, in 1976 was that, yep, now we're going to have these two different, uh, gravamen. And what I think is, what I think is, um, interesting about 76 with regard to gravamen and Harry Boer is that 
uh, and this the show the close link between the two of these the the two of these issues Harry Boer's objection to reprobation and and um and the and the gravamen issue is that they actually voted twice in 76 uh to approve this distinction uh and uh you know it's very it's a redundant thing to do synods don't like doing redundant things cuz time is short uh but they they felt like they needed to do it twice at synod 1976 um to to really uh, sort of nail this thing down and uh, so and one was with just with regard to church order change and then one was with regard to Harry Boer's particular case and so they they're very intimately tied and i think you know what's interesting about harry is is they did what they said they synod put together a panel of people of professors basically uh to meet with harry and to help him to work through the the issue that he had with the doctrine of reprobation that was their intention and and the understanding was okay harry you're going to do this and then if this doesn't persuade you then you can come back at the synod next year and you can you can submit a confessional revision gravamen uh well um harry decided before he met with the committee that uh he really needed to <laughs> he needed to take it up a notch and so he the very he didn't even meet with the committee he just submitted a confessional revision gravamen um I don't want to impugn motives, but I, I have a, yeah, anyhow, then yeah. I won't, then I won't do that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, and, and the, the beauty really, you know, cause one of the, one of the differences when you read church order between a difficulty gravamen and a revision gravamen is that the difficulty gravamen uh, is less public, right? It's a private kind of a pastoral thing is what it said in some ways. It's pastoral, right? That's 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 yeah. the language it uses in terms of. Uh, it says you're supposed to deal with these difficulties in a pastoral way, yeah, right. But, but you know, everyone knew that Harry Boer was meeting with a group of people, yeah. <laughs> so you know, yeah, that's it's not true. private. Yeah, but I mean, the point is, when uh, when all there was was a revision gravamen, the mm-hmm. only way to question or to seek seek counsel was to make it very public and write yes. an overture yes. to overturn it right where it makes sense now to when they put that difficulty gravamen is okay here's a way to question without having to ask for something to be overturned right. you can say hey i want some clarification and and even in our church order it says you start off by bringing that that difficulty to your counsel right and you say hey i'm having difficulty with this and the counsel then is supposed to kind of help you work through that difficulty and if the council can't come up with a solution then it goes to the classes it doesn't go right to synod it goes to classes and then you have other pastors and stuff throughout classes saying okay now we'll come around we'll try to help kind of resolve this difficulty and then it says that doesn't happen then it goes to synod as well Mm -hmm. um and so uh but you can see how it's more it's more pastoral than having to say hey i have a difficulty but the only way i can handle this is by asking us to change our confessions because that puts you in a really awkward spot especially if you're truly wrestling with it right and it's yes and the it it, it creates an adversarial kind of relationship yeah. right because that's that's really that's what even today the confessional revision gravamen the way it's described in the church order is Okay, if you come to uh, the Senate and say, I disagree with this doctrine that's in the confession, 
the, the church order is very explicit. The burden of proof is not on the church. Right? Yeah. The burden of proof is on you to yes. demonstrate that the church is wrong. And if you can't demonstrate that the church is wrong, well, then the church is under no obligation to change its teaching. Yeah. Um, so, but that's an adversary. You're right. It's the idea was this was supposed to create a context where people could have their doubts when they arose and, and to deal with them in a pastoral kind of caring way in a non-adversarial kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things, right. Cause now since I chaired the committee that, that dealt with Gravaman that didn't get dealt with, um, I've had a lot of these kind of conversations and people kind of know where I stand on, on some of these things. And so I had somebody kind of ask me, I think kind of tongue in cheek, or they think it was, they thought it was kind of a gotcha question. Like, well, have you ever even dealt with the difficulty Gravaman? Like, like, I don't know how to, and I'm like, all the time, just not under that name. Like most of the time, I, we don't have council members saying, I'm going to file a difficulty gravamen. But I was like, just like a few months ago, I had one of my council members say like, hey, I'm reading through the confessions. And I came, upos- a, you know, I came across a point where I thought, I don't know if I agree with this or not. I'm having difficulty with this spot. And uh, can you come and meet with me and help me resolve this difficulty and i said yeah Mm -hmm. let's sit down so we brought our bibles we had a really great conversation kind of point counterpoint and eventually they go oh yeah i actually do i do agree with this that's great and so Mm -hmm. my conscience feels good and now we move on right and uh, so it wasn't like filing something official but that's the idea of what it is and um and so for someone especially i think as a pastor um having that kind of a difficulty i think it's really important for a pastor to make that to file that officially because they're the main teaching elder Mm -hmm. of the church. Right. I think it's important for the council to know that they're struggling with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, so what's your, what's your thought? You know, a a number of people um, have, have pointed out, you know, one of the main pushbacks to, to kind of your understanding of Gravamen is, well, we've been using Gravamen kind of, nobody likes them, us to say they're exceptions, but I don't know of a better term to use. So help, help give us something better. Mm-hmm. But, um, but people have been filing Gravamen on various issues and just kind of keeping that settled and binding conviction over the years. The CRC has been doing that. So you must, you must be misunderstanding it because we've been already using it this other way, kind of as an exception. What, what's your response when people kind of push that back? I think even Kathy Smith in one of her articles gave some examples of here's a few people who have filed ex, uh, exempt or gravamen, difficulty gravamen over the years, and they just had them longstanding for 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, uh, you know, one of the people that she mentions is um, Alvin Planinga, who was a professor at Notre Dame. And, you know, at least from the early 80s, um, he has basically held a view of free will that's not in accordance with the Reformed Confessions. And um, he, at least that's, I would argue that. Uh, and so, and he wrote a gravamen, <laughs> confessional with difficulty gravamen as a result. So I guess he would agree with it too. Yeah. Um, so she, he, so yeah, she uses him as an example of someone who did this. Um, my response to that is, um, a few things. One, I, I think that um, I think that the evidence is is that those were instances of abuse of the church order to do something that wasn't permitted. So, for example, um, 
I spoke with some people who were in the Christian Reformed Church uh, and very heavily involved on the more conservative end of things. And I sort of, one of the things I did was I said, what's your recollection of when this whole thing happened? Like, were you under the impression that this is what confessional difficulty gravamen? And the person I'm thinking of in particular here is is, uh, Cornelius Venema, uh, who's a president of Mid-America Seminary now. And I asked him, I was like, what did your understanding of this? And he said, if we had, if we thought that confessional difficulty gravamina was a way for people to take exception to the creeds and confessions, the conservatives would have left the church. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com, look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for part two of my conversation with Cedric Parcells on Gravamen. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.